Hi everyone, it's Saturday morning and I've just finished my draft on this passage that I'm going to be preaching on tomorrow in John chapter 19 at the Chinese church. Uh, I want to say thank you to those who joined me for that impromptu Bible study yesterday and most of the illustrations and most of the points I got from that discussion. So thank you to my friends, thank you as well to a few new friends who joined us yesterday on Zoom for that very random, very impromptu Bible study. I really appreciated your time. Uh, if it's useful, I'll have more of those studies in the future. But uh, this is one of those uh, fruits of that labor. This is the result of that discussion we had yesterday. And I've called uh, this message, Life Giver. And this is on John chapter 19, verses 16 to 30. Life Giver. My mom was mugged once by two guys on a motorbike. She was walking into a friend's home in Malaysia when one of them tried to grab her handbag. She threw it over her friend's gate, but the guy climbed over the gate to pick it up. The amazing thing is, and only my mom would do this, she asked for her ID card back from the thief and they gave it back to her. <laughs> what would you do if you were mugged? If someone took your money or your phone or even your life? That's the big idea in today's passage. Everything is taken from Jesus, even the clothes on his back. The amazing thing is he gives it willingly even his life on the cross. Just two points, life takers and the life giver. This is verse 16. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. My Bible says the soldiers took Jesus, but the truth is it just says they did this. They did this. That's important because Jesus doesn't say a single word in this first section. It's Pilate, it's the chief priests, it's the soldiers who do all the talking, uh, who do all the taking. Jesus is almost a thing that they can do anything they want to. Kill him, crucify him. He's a thing, not a person, in their eyes. The question is why? Verse 19. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I've written, I have written. Two groups of people argue over Jesus as king. Notice that. Religious people, the Jews, say, We don't want this kind of king. You. Think of a homeless person, you know, sitting next to you in church. And then he gets up to preach in front. Nobody will come back to that church. But Pilate is a non-religious, non-Christian, who says Jesus is king. He doesn't believe it, but he says it to make fun of the religious people. 
Ha ha! Look at your loser king. Written in three languages on top of Jesus. King, king, king. It's like when British people say Trump, Trump, Trump to their U.S. friends. Why is this a big deal? Because in God's eyes, Jesus is the king, or another word is the Christ. And the point is, this is how we treat God, who is king, over our lives. This is how we treat anyone who has control in our lives: our parents, our boss, our friends, our pastor. Because at the end of the day, I am the boss. I am Jesus, not Jesus. Verse twenty-three: When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts: one part for each soldier, also his tunic. The soldiers, they're doing their job. The boss told me to kill Jesus, so they did their job. But then the story focuses on them taking away his clothes, not to do laundry. They were stealing it. It's strange, isn't it? Nothing about nailing his hands or nailing his feet. No, they take away his clothes. You take this one. I take that one. Four of them, so four shares. But the last one, they say, "Let's not tear it." Verse twenty-three. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, "Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be." This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, "They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots." Meaning, it's actually important that they took his clothes and they cast lots for them. Because a thousand years ago, literally, King David wrote, "They divided my garments; they cast lots for my clothing." A thousand years ago, in Psalm 22. And if you know nothing about Psalm 22, the first line reads, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" A lot of Jesus happens in Psalm 22, and a lot of Psalm 22. Happens on the cross. This is the psalm of a king. King David is the greatest king in Israel's history, but he is rejected by his enemies. Actually, he is rejected by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he trusts in God, and he is saved by God. In other words, the Bible is saying God did this. To his king, the soldiers think they are the ones stealing his clothes. The chief priests think they have crucified Jesus. But at the end of the day, God is using them to do what He wants them to do. Verse twenty-five. So the soldiers did these things. They killed him. They took away his dignity. But the Bible says God planned for them to do these things. So the next time you sin and think. Nobody knows. God knows. Next time you say you say something unkind, he doesn't care. You think God cares, and knowing that can either humble us or harden us. So that's the first section: the life takers. They take his life, even his clothes. Jesus was hung naked on the cross. Did you know that? 
But because in this life, you know, you have to take what you can get, you know, get that opportunity, get the girl, get that promotion. Nobody is giving you nothing. You have to take it, or someone will take it away from you. But the second part is about Jesus, the life giver. Firstly, Jesus gives his mother to his disciple in love. Verse twenty-five. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, "Woman, behold your son." Then he said to the disciple, "Behold." Your mother, and from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Someone said last night at the Bible study. They said, "This is kind of like a will. A will. When you die, you leave a will that says the dog gets all the money, my family gets nothing, or something like that." <laughs> your will shows your love for those you leave behind, and here is Jesus saying, "Love one another." Love one another. When you turn on Zoom, you know you are loving one another today in church. God gives us to one another. It's almost like in marriage, you know. Behold your mother. Behold your son. It's what you would hear in a wedding ceremony. Is that not right? It's a trust. I am trusting you to love this brother or sister in Christ, says Jesus Christ. There's this lady I see regularly in an old folks' home. She can't move. She can't feed herself. And this week, she asked me to buy a birthday card for one of her carers. Ah, it's so nice,、uh, she said. It's actually very cheap. I got it from Sainsbury's. <laughs> you can tell. Who are the people who care for you out of love and out of a true sense of responsibility? How much more Christians? How much more Christians who hear Jesus say to them, "Here is your brother, your mother, your son, your daughter." Now the thing is, they might actually be your father, your mother, your brother, your sister for real. But knowing that Jesus says that means there's that extra call to love them as Jesus loves them. Finally, Jesus gives us His life, verse twenty-eight. After this, Jesus. Knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, "I thirst." This is from Psalm sixty-nine, verse twenty-one. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Another psalm about this depressed person and his enemies, but it's actually more than that.、Uh, imagine a rich man saying, "I am hungry." Imagine a powerful God saying, "I am thirsty." And you don't need to imagine that, because here in John's Gospel, actually back in John chapter four, Jesus says this to the Samaritan woman: "Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst." It's like a car salesman trying to sell you a Tesla. You know the Tesla, this fancy car that can always drive itself. But this salesman, he himself drives a Perodua Glisa. It's a Malaysian-made car. Um, it's not very good, but Jeremy Clarkson made fun of it. He blew it up on TV once, 
And I think it's because of that that he's now banned from entering the country. <laughs> it's a lousy car, in other words. How can you believe this guy when he offers you his life and then he dies on the cross? Because Jesus is dying your death on the cross. You see, he gives you something, but he takes something in return. He takes our death. He takes our punishment for our sin. This is not the thirst you have when you see a Coca-Cola commercial on TV. Ah, oh, I feel so thirsty. No, this is the thirst you have in a hospital bed when you can't even get yourself a cup of water. Or, or the kind of thirst you get when the only thing you can drink is Coca-Cola for the rest of your life. It is a hell, in other words. And Jesus is drinking our hell. He is dying our death on the cross. It's interesting that here, there's no mention of blood whatsoever. You know, later on in verse 35 there is, but here is Jesus dying. He is covered in blood from head to toe. But that's not the picture the Bible gives us of his death. Rather, it is thirst. It is this dissatisfaction, this frustration in life. Meaning the next time you are thirsty, it means think of death. You know, without water, we are dead. Without Jesus, it's saying, we are dead. Verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And so the picture we get here is of Jesus, the life giver. He gave up his spirit. It's the exact same word back in verse 16. He is given over to the cross. And here, verse 30, he gave over his spirit, meaning he gave it to God. And the question I began with, you know, have you ever been mugged? You know, that question. Imagine you've been mugged and then you say to the thief who just took your money, oh, here, have my car keys as well. <laughs> but that's Jesus. That's Jesus. You know, they take his life, they take everything. And then he gives us eternal life. He gives us eternal blessing on top of everything. Some of us, if that happened, you know, we'd say, you know, give it back to me. You've taken mine. Something that's mine, give it back to me. And I worry that some of us, our lives, we live our whole lives with this kind of IOU mission statement. You know, the world, it owes me respect. God owes me happiness. All our lives, we spend it saying, give it back to me, give it back to me. But no, Jesus, he gives it even more on the cross. He gives to his mother and John. He gives his life and his salvation. And finally, he says, it is finished. Meaning there is nothing else to give, meaning He's actually glad, he's actually satisfied that everything has now been fulfilled. And the question at the end of the day is, are you a life taker or a life giver? You know, like, are you like Chinese people at a buffet? You know, give me everything, let me eat everything that I can. Or at work, make as much money as you can. Or in love, love me as much as you can. You feel full at the end, but you feel kind of sick at the same time and everything and everyone around you it just kind of like dries up you've sucked it up or are you a life giver a life giver and let's be honest here it's not easy you spend your whole day giving to your kids giving to your church giving to your mom and dad and sometimes 
you feel like there's nothing else to give. They are full, but you are dried up. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, it says this, For God so loved the world that He gave, He gave, His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, the lesson is this. Christians believe it's not our giving that matters, but it's God's giving of His Son. And at the end of the day, it's not what we take or even what we give that matters that makes us Christians, but what God has given us and what we have received in thankfulness through Jesus Christ, His Son, on the cross. And it is that that decides whether we perish or that we've received eternal life. Well, that's the message I have prepared so far. It's just a draft. I prepared it this morning. And again, thank you so much uh, to all those who joined me for that impromptu random Bible study I had last night. Uh, you will recognize some of the illustrations from the discussion we had yesterday. Uh, and I look forward to the next one. You know, uh, if it's helpful, we'll have more of these Bible studies, especially before I have to preach on that same passage that Sunday. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and God bless.